Hi, my name is Mark LeBlanc, and I actually serve as the chairman of Indie Books International, and it is my distinct honor and pleasure to host and facilitate uh, this week's episode of our Marketing with a Book uh, podcast. And I'm especially excited today because our guest is Eileen McDar, a certified speaking professional and a CPAE, um, which means that she is in the National Speakers Association uh, Hall of Fame. And, um, and she's my friend. Uh, uh, so as we normally do, we'll uh, do a little bit of an author's uh, roll call here, uh, where we have an opportunity to just uh, uh, shine a light uh, on each other's uh, uh, most recent book or uh, a note or two about a book uh, that you are working on. I will start. My uh, latest book uh, that came out is Persuade with a Case Acceptance Story, uh, a book for the dental industry, how successful dentists use the power of story to get more referrals and treat uh, more patients. I co-authored that with Henry DeVries and Penny Reed, a dental uh, consultant. And so I'm going to turn it over to David and then Chris and then Teresa. Thanks, Mark. Hi, I'm David Goldman, and uh, I wrote the book, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. And it's, uh, it's nine stories about people who hired me to get uh, what they thought they wanted, and along the way, they got what they really wanted. Thank you, David. Uh, Chris. And my name is, is Christopher, or Chris Hodges. My book is Noble Automation Now. And what does that mean? Well, it means how do you innovate, motivate, and transform your business with intelligent automation? And it's an emphasis on how important people are to the technology. I live in Denver. And Henry is currently editing my final man final manuscript, so I'm pretty excited. Great, thank you, Chris. Uh, Teresa, and then Mason. Hello, I'm Dr. Teresa Ashby, and I wrote a book called Better Implementation Now: Eight Ways Strategies Fail and How to Fix Them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mason, and then Diane. Sure. Hi, Mason Harris. My book, The Chutzpah Advantage. We all have chutzpah. We all make moves that are bold, audacious, and lead to tremendous results. Purpose of my book is to identify the eight behaviors and characteristics that enable us to turn that into a pattern and a lifestyle, not an occasional behavior. Thank you. Thank you, Mason. And I just got my uh, book today, or uh, not today, um, late last week. And so I'm looking forward to you and I having a conversation. That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, Diane and then Dr. Carey. Hello, my name is Diane Ploys. My book in process is important questions to ask before you buy a franchise. Oh. Thank you, Diane. Um, Hi, and Dr. Carey. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carey, and my book, which I actually just sent Henry back the first round edits on, is Self Help on the Go 99 Easy Life Hacks. Oh, nice. I can hardly wait, um, Carrie, for that book. Thanks, Mark. 
All right. Well, we just, uh, in short, uh, here at Indie Books International, we're a little bit unique uh, in the publishing world. Um, we want we want people to sell and move uh, more books. But in all candor, it's less about the book and so much more about what your book will lead to. And that's why we uh, have coined this podcast marketing with a book, not necessarily marketing your book. We think while there can be an ROI on your book itself, it's more important uh, that the book become a gateway tool to lead to more uh, keynote speeches, more training assignments, more coaching engagements, uh, more consulting uh, engagements. That's where the real ROI is on uh, the publishing of the book. And so it's not just you should write a book or that you should write your next book, it's more important to Henry and me that you write the right book. And with that, I want to introduce my friend, uh, Eileen McDar. Eileen McDar has often been referred to as a merchant of hope. Although she has been, uh, she feels that she's been put on earth for comic relief. <laughs> and oh, she's funny. She's funny. Uh, she's an internationally recognized keynote speaker, a master facilitator, an award-winning author with expertise, deep expertise in resiliency and leadership. Her articles have appeared in countless publications and two of her eight books, have been awarded national recognition. Her latest book, Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and to Reclaim uh, What Matters. In 2021, Global Gurus International, get a load of that, Global, who knew there was such a group called Global Gurus International? It's a lot of syllables. Um, a British-based provider of resources for leadership, communication, and sales training ranked her third of the world's top 30 communication gurus following a global survey of 22,000 business professionals. She's a runner, an avid exerciser, and my co-trotter in the annual turkey trot in Dana Point, uh, California. And there is a photograph to prove that uh, we did the turkey trot together on a Thanksgiving morning. But uh, most important, she is a lover of all things dark chocolate. Eileen, my friend, take it away. Thank you, Mark. It just makes me smile because when we did that turkey trot, it was the first and only time it poured rain on Thanksgiving Day. So Mark and I are running, make that walking in the rain, and we're so cold when we got home. We didn't care about turkey. We came and said, there's the guest bathroom. Get your shower. I mean, we were just... Um, and in some ways, that's not a bad segue to my book because... When life happens, 
you take advantage of it. And that's really how this book came to be. Um, I've been speaking on resilience for, oh my goodness, I've lost 12, 13, 14, 15 years. And what's been happening over the last pre-pandemic, so PP, pre-pandemic, not PPE, PP, pre-pandemic, um, is that when I was asked to speak, resilience was always in the context of burnout. And I, I have to tell you, when you have 5,000 pharmacists ask for resilience to overcome burnout, and then they stand when the whole thing is over, they're not standing for me. They're standing because they got an idea of something that they could do in a place that seems very undoable. And when that happened, I said, that's it. That's got to be my next book. So this, so this book is actually my eighth book. And that was March. And in May of that year, the World Health Organization declared globally burnout to be an occupational hazard. Now, I will correct, correct the World Health Organization because they left it in the form of organizational hazard. It's a life hazard because sometimes the organization, the work is what saves you because what's making you crazy is what's at home. So what I did with this book was I interviewed some amazing people. And so what you find within this book is a series of, of case studies. And I track the case studies through the different process that I take people through to how to you, how do you build resilience so you can refuel, recharge and reclaim what matters. The, I, the final manuscript was due in December of 2019, turned it in, and we all know what happened in March of 2020. When I went back to my editor uh, with my publisher, I said, oh my gosh, this is, this is even bigger than I thought, and I need, to write, I need to write a forward. He said, no, you can't. It will date the book, which is interesting. So what I have been called to do is to weave in to this notion of burnout and resilience where we find ourselves in this COVID-19 pandemic, because it's still on, world. So which is why I say when this book came out in August of 2020, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, because you couldn't get before an audience, which normally is what would happen. I have a book and I'm called to speak. That didn't happen. So we've discovered this brand new world of virtual, of virtual presentations. So let me define resilience for you. Um, actually, let me backtrack for a second. I think that when we begin to look at our lives, wherever you find yourself, you need to think about a railroad crossing. And at a railroad crossing, what it tells you to do is to stop, look, and listen. And I think that's what we need to do is to stop, where the heck am I? Look around, what's going on and listen. Listen not only with your head, but listen with your heart. And from that we begin, can begin to say, what is this thing called burnout? Which if I give you the definition that Herbert Freudenberger, who coined this word for us, was that it is, it is excessively striving to reach some unrealistic expectation imposed upon by ourselves or society. And when I say unrealistic expectations, 
it is sheer exhaustion whether I have this mountain of work over here where now I'm taking care of little kids because I've been doing remote work, whether I have an aging parent, it's all, it all goes together. So when we look at this notion of resilience, resilience is not about bouncing back, which is what you hear everybody say. It's not about bouncing back. Instead, it's really about growing through. The only things that bounce back are steel and trees. Boing, and they come back again. Human beings, this is not what we do. We don't bounce back. There is no such thing as going back. You and I are different today than we were yesterday. And certainly when this whole pandemic thing started. So the notion then to me is that resilience is a life skill. And it is about growing through crisis or opportunity. So you end up wiser and smarter on the other side. Notice I said through opportunity, because at the end of the day, resilience is all about energy management. Do I have the mental, emotional, physical energy that allows me to grow through whatever's going on in my life so that I can end up wiser, smarter on the other side? No growth, no resilience. And because I said it is a life skill, that doesn't mean that you can uh, listen to me and bingo, you're resilient. Nope, not going to happen. Read my book and bingo, you're resilient. Nope. Like any skill, it must be cultivated. And I specifically like that word cultivate because cultivating resilience is exactly what you do when you cultivate a garden. You have to weed it. You have to get rid of all the stuff that are the rocks, you know, all the dried clumps of dirt. So there are things in our life that are going to hold us back from being resilient. We need to get rid of that. And then when I say cultivate, then you need to plant the seeds. You need to water it. You come back and weed it. Same thing is true with our life. So it is an ongoing process, this idea of building resilience. And we do it through creating our energy connections. And let me just say very quickly what that is. When I say energy connections, we're like a power grid. You got a power plant over here. You got the house over here. If there are good connections, the lights in your house go on. Bad connections, no light. So then ultimately, resilience is created by saying, what are the connections that I make? And are they giving me energy or are they depleting my energy? And we connect with our head. That's where adaptability starts. We connect with our hearts. We connect with our hands. What are we doing? We connect with humor. Humor is an is amazing energy source. And then the last part is something that I think is really important. You collect, you connect, you align with why. Why are you here? And I know, Mark, for you and, and Henry, what's created the success for you and your business is you're very clear about why are you on this earth? And it's not to turn around and make gazillion trillion dollars. It is to really to be of service in the written word that you believe so strongly about that becomes the spoken word that allows people to create a way to get their message and their life out there. So that's kind of a, a thumbnail sketch if I can give you that about what is what is in the book and what is it that I'm that I'm working on now. Eileen, how did you get so smart? 
<laughs> you're so silly. You're so uh, you're cute. Though. You're very cute. You, um, you know, we 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 go we go back a ways. Yes. Um, and I remember that my my first real experience of you and with you was when I was on your team in um, one of the NSA workshops. Uh, I was the I was the staff coordinator for the workshop that you were chair for. And so I got to see you um, be a leader uh, in action. Um, but without without dating yourself, um, I want you to go back to um, where where it really all began. Um, do you remember your first paid speech? And and I'm going to ask you, what did you get paid? <laughs> oh my God! Wait a minute. Can I have a time machine? Doing, 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 doing. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Mark! My first paid speech. Well, I, I guess I do have to. Let me backtrack. My very first paid speech was came as a result that I I had developed some courses for the for the local college here. Uh, because I, I knew that I could be, I, I came from the field of education. I can be a teacher. And I, I said in one of those continuing education classes and thought, I can do better than this. So I created a series of programs. The first one was um, how to write a business plan. I was asked to do that. Say, okay, how to write a business plan. And I thought, well, communication at the home and the hearth. I'll do that. And how about the art of persuasion? The Steel Service Center Institute out of Cleveland, Ohio, got a copy of that course catalog from a meeting planner at a Marriott. The meeting planner called me and said, now this is early on. This is early on. I mean, really early on. My husband and I had just gotten married. Between us, we probably had five sets. And she said, my client wants to know, would you come to the desert and deliver the art of persuasion? Oh, why, why yes. What do you charge? When you speak at the community college, you don't get your eyes. I went, um, $750. She said, I'll call you back. A couple of days later, she calls back. They said, that's fine. Oh my God, $750. And it's going to be like, a, uh, like an hour. And, and oh, geez, thank you. Thank you, God, very much. Um, and I had enough, I had enough sense to know, Mark, that I needed to talk to the executive director of the Steel Service Center Institute. In my conversation with this guy, he said, you know, give me the background. Why do you want this? Blah, blah, blah. He said, and we'll mail you your check for $1,500. Oh, oh $750. What do you mean, $750? Uh, 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 deposit, deposit. And I called <laughs> the meeting planner at the Marriott. And I said, what's the story? She said, we always mark up outside vendors. A hundred percent? Well, Mark, I learned two lessons. Number one, no one is ever going to say what I am worth other than me. But the second lesson, oh my God, they were willing to pay $1,500 for an hour. And then, um, then they gave, they, I came back a couple times for them. They gave my name to the Copper and Brass Institute, to the blah, blah, blah. 
And one of our a dear friend said, you need to come to the National Speakers Association. I said, what's that? She said, Eileen, this is a business. Get out of here. This is, yes, it is a business. And that's really was my first paid engagement. Eileen, did you, um, I'm, I'm assuming that your, your first of eight books then came shortly after that or within a year or two or three? What, what was your first book? My first book is, is titled Work for a Living and Still Be Free to Live. And at the time, as far as we can figure out, it is the first book that ever really looked at this notion of work-life, quote, balance, along with authentic work. Um, I was ahead of my time. It was through Prentice Hall. Uh, I got the title by sitting in a, a, a seminar that a colleague asked me to sit in and we were supposed to cut things out of a, out of a magazine. And I'd been collecting stories of people who were making choices in their life. Um, it's kind of like, I think Mason, you were the one that said you help people, um, figure out, get what they want. Right. She said, you know, they had one way, but you're going to take them someplace else. Um, well, that's what I was finding where people were making choices. And I cut out the words work for a living and still be free to live. We're in an ad. Don't tell me what. And one of the people sitting in my group said, hey, that sounds like a good title. I said, I know. It's the book I'm going to write out of the clear blue sky. And that was it. What came out in 1984 was that book. Um, it did terrible. Because at the time it was coming off the press, Prentice Hall was bought by Simon & Schuster and they closed the division my book was through and fired everybody. So it was the moral equivalent of being pregnant and they blew up the hospital and shoot the doctors. And <laughs> you gotta find your baby in there somewhere. But that was really, that was the first, that was the first book. And I actually wrote it as much for me because I was learning how do I work for a living and still be free to live. I want to ask you a question I don't think we've ever asked uh, on this uh, podcast before. Um, and that is, what was your confidence level as a writer? You know, what I, what I find is that just because you're a good speaker doesn't mean you're going to be a good writer. Just because you're a good writer doesn't mean you're going to be a good consultant. Where, where was your con confidence as a writer? How was it in the early days? Um. I come from a literary family. Um, I One of my earliest memories is I have a twin brother and our sister is three years younger than we are. And I can remember sitting on either side of mom, pregnant tummy with Susan, reading Saggy Baggy Elephant. <laughs> we grew up reading, but we also grew up writing. And I've always written. Um, I never had a problem when I was in school. Um, English was always my, my favorite subject. So it never occurred to me, Mark, that I couldn't write. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the, you know, the journalism class in high school. Um, and so Mike, I didn't know quite how to do a book, but I figured I would figure it out. And I didn't have anybody to help me, but I read so much, I thought, well, I can do this. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, it answers my question perfectly. And um, since you mentioned her, um, I'd like to just 
stop for a moment and, and pay respect to your mother, uh, whom I knew. And I'd love for you to just take a moment and, and tell us about her. Now you're going to make me cry when you do this, Mark. Because I miss her a lot. My mom was my hero. She was one of three women in med school in the 1930s. She wanted to fly. So she went in with three guys out of York, Pennsylvania, and they bought a plane. And then it was World War II. All the able-bodied pilots were needed to fly combat missions in the European and the Pacific theaters. But if all the male pilots went away, who's going to do the domestic military flying? That was the, that was the question. And what was created, created out of that was the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, or WASP. The call went out to any woman who wanted to learn fly for the military. They had to do the same thing the Air Force cadets had to do with one exception. They had to already have a pilot's license. Male cadets did not. They went to an air base. They were trained. And before they were disbanded, those women, mother was one, was one of 1,076 women who earned the same silver wings as the Air Force cadets. Before they were disbanded, they would have flown 60 million air miles of domestic wartime duty, flying every plane in the U.S. arsenal. It wasn't without hazard. 38 of them died in the course of duty. But because Congress refused to give them the official military status that had been promised, there were no benefits. And mom says in at least in one case, they passed the hat to send the body home to the parents. And women then were not allowed back in the cockpits of military planes again for 30 years. But mom never gave up. She, uh, I remember as kids, she'd take us to an air base. I knew that a, that a sock was not something that went on your foot. It was what showed that where the direction of the wind went, you know. And she'd say, see the sock? See the sock? Um, and even in her later years when I brought her out here, um, and she loved to play the piano, by the way. She played the piano for Mark and his buddies when they'd come up. She had a perk, you know, could play anything by ear. And you would say, Mom, it's too high, instantly transpose. But if we had her sitting outside in a wheelchair, she could see and hear before any of us if a plane was flying over and she'd go, lucky stiff. <laughs> Remember that, Mark? I do. Thank you for asking about mom. Oh, you're very, you're very welcome. Um, I just wanted to take a moment to honor her and, and your memory of her. And I know how much of a hero uh, that she was uh, for you. Um, Eileen, how did your, uh, I mean, you seem to maybe be, I mean, I know why you're a global guru. I mean, you seem to be the one person maybe in the world um, that, that should benefit by a pandemic and everything that has gone on. Would you be willing to just share a bit about your business and how you made it through the pandemic. And I know that we're still going through it um, because I, I know that you shifted gears very quickly and you did a lot of what I call showcase type work uh, to be of good service. Would you share with us a little bit about that? Um, yes, now let me give the backstory before we got to the pandemic. And it really does have to do with mom. I cared for mom for the last years of her life. 
Um, I had her two miles up the road from me. She went through assisted living, skilled nursing, memory care. Um, she had three broken hips, broken leg, pulmonary embolism, and finally a stroke that took out the entire left side and then dementia. Um, my business, Mark and all of you, just went um, and it was fine. I would not take any work unless I knew my sister up in Los Angeles could drive down to take my place and I never would have gone offshore. Well, when you have that kind, six years of down, it's really difficult to get back. And for me, Mark, it's been, it's, it's been, it's been a struggle. Um, and I think this, you know, this book helps. The one that preceded this is your resiliency GPS, which is your growth potential strategy. They've all helped, but I must say those six years of staying really out of the marketplace, I never marketed. You know, I just took whatever came in the door. Was I wouldn't do it any differently, but your business will take a huge hit, and mine did. Um, so what I've discovered and going through the pandemic, first off, all of a sudden, God and everybody is talking about resiliency. <laughs> they never did it before. I say, I'm a resiliency expert. I'm a reason. And there are some great, there's some great people that are out there, you know, doing that, who have stayed visible in this time. So I would love to tell you that I've got so much work I can't even see straight. That's not so. It's, you know, this book, I do a blog, I do an, I do an e-sign, um, I do things like this, the podcast, the video cast. Um, I did a program today uh, for a company that crafts musical tours for student groups. And so what the position that I've taken is if it matches my, what I care about, which is healthcare, women and teachers, then if they don't have the money, we can figure it out. It all, it, it all works. It'll all come back. It really will. So today I had this, this one tour group that is that came because of work that I did for, uh, it was called Destination Management Partners, which was two weeks after the pandemic. And they said, will you talk? We have all these associates that run destination management around the globe and freaking out. I did 22 minutes for them. We had 700 people on the call. Mm. And when it was over and they sent out a survey, Mark, 250 people answered that survey. 250 out of 700? I mean, we know the odds when you do a survey. If you got 10%, you're going, yeah, that's good. And they said, I needed that. So for me, it's been as much of how can I add value and assistance, whoever needs it where we are. And it is paying off. This October, I will, and I don't know if I'm the only person who've ever gotten this, but I am speaking for the top of the table for the Million Dollar Roundtable. And the Million Dollar Roundtable has been around for, for decades. These are high leverage uh, investment advisors well, the top of the table is the top of the top. And when mm -hmm. I had my virtual call with the meeting planner and the committee head, they ended up saying, we want you to open it and we want you to close it. Wow. 
I'm a book it. Well, they made a great choice. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, for those, the, those of you who are listening who speak, now remember, this is like the middle of October when I'm going to do this. I had to have a script and the slide deck to them by July 7th. I can make no changes after August 1st. That's real. And I said, why? And it's because it's, it's global and their interpreters have to have it. So for the first time ever, I'm going to have to pretty much memorize a script, which is not something I do. But that's all right. I Eileen, we're not done yet, but I guess I just want to stop and just take a moment to thank you for the good work um, that you are called and compelled to do. And um, you are a shining example and role model for how many of us would like to show up and be uh, in the world. Um, you mentioned that you um, blog and you mentioned that you have a newsletter or an easing. Is it possible for uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you have anything for our viewers um, do. today? We, we want gifts. I, I do. I have a Ginzu knife. It chops, it does it. No, I don't have that. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. No, if you will go to my website and they'll give you the link. I think Suzanne's got the link for you. Just sign up for my eZine. It comes out once a month. It is very short. It is very targeted. And when you do that, you will get an excerpt from my book, plus you will get the entire ebook of Talk Ain't Cheap, It's Priceless, Connecting in a Disconnected World. So you get a couple of things. That's my gift. Oh, thank you, Eileen. And Suzanne will put that in the chat box. And so any of you that are listening to this after uh, the live uh, event here today can also take advantage of that offer and the gift. Um, Eileen, as you look forward, and certainly um, the, the numbers uh, uh, for the pandemic are not necessarily going in the right direction. And uh, we're seeing more and more uh, reports and numbers changing. We, we could be heading into uh, another difficult uh, period or surge. But as you look forward, in your career uh, as we move through this pandemic or continue to move through it, what are you most excited about? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question, Mark. That is a difficult question. And here's why it's both interesting and difficult. I think for, I don't think I'm alone. When you go through this pandemic and everything that you thought you knew goes away and you have to you know, this notion of pivoting or whatever. It also, at least for me, says, okay, what do you want for act four of your life? Because the truth of the matter is, although I look 22, um, there's, <laughs> thank you, Mark, for not smirking too much. <laughs> the truth of the matter is there's more behind me than what's in front of me. So, one of my challenges for myself is to say, what is it that I want in this act four? That might actually be the next book that I write because I do write to learn. So what I'm excited about is one of the things I have challenged myself to do over the last year and a half, actually two years, 
is every month I must do something I have never done before. At least one thing. And I'm happy to say I normally get three or four. Um, it might be small. Some of the things might be, might be big. Um, but every time I experiment, I, I learn. And, you know, when I, I said, you know, that resiliency is a skill, it's like a muscle, you don't go pick up the 25-pound weight all at once. You start, you build small. Every time I try something I've never done before, I discover something. So I'm excited about the discovery. Hmm. The reason I smiled when you said you were 22 is because I saw a movie once about Benjamin Buttons and I was going to <laughs> I was going to refer to you as Bernadette Buttons because you're the only person I know who looks younger every year. Um, so uh, the, that that's why I was smiling, but I wasn't going to bring it up unless you mentioned it. Um, <laughs> I, I, and, I always laugh because I, I, I do say, you know, that blah, blah, I have so many years, I said, which is incredible because I'm only 22. I don't know yeah. how I've been this, how this happened. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Eileen, when you think back over the course of your career, is there is there a particular marketing idea or business development idea or strategy that that you tried and it ended up working better than you thought it would? I love that question because actually that's what kicked off this career for me. I think number one, how do you find a place to test a title for a presentation as well as test interest? Do people even care about it? In our college systems, the continuing education divisions of our college systems are always looking for material, looking for instructors. It is a great place to create the concept, create the title, and they market it. So you write everything up just like you would in a brochure and does it fly? Do people care about it? And I, I must say, I mean, when you think about it, the art of persuasion, that got me to the Steel Service Center Institute. Even though that happened years ago, I think it is still a valuable way to test out material and title mm. and, and, and practice. You know, not everybody is, is used to, so you get to practice this without a tremendous amount of risk and the monetary um, outlay is, is only connected to your time. There's very little that you have as a monetary outlay, but it is making that connection. Eileen, I'm gonna ask you uh, another question um, because you and I both know many people in the last 16 or so months who um, are not in business anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, they've thrown in the towel on their dream. Um, and what would you say to an emerging, developing, uh, even professional speaker uh, and author who might be on the cusp of saying, I can't keep going. Um, it, this, maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Maybe I need to throw in the towel on this career. I guess my first question to that individual was, how would you feel if you did that? 
what would you walk away from? Is there another way you could craft that dream that would allow you to test the water without swimming across the English Channel? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's that's a valid thing. Also, again, you know, how can you partner perchance with another colleague that you can do teamwork, that you could, um, there's some amazing platforms that are out there that let you literally hold the stage together um, and, and craft what the backgrounds are. Um, and then from a very practical standpoint, you know, you really need to look at what are your, how much do you really need to bring in? Because if we're saying, I need to bring in, you know, $150,000 a year, that might be unrealistic. So, so there's a very practical side of that too. Um, and I think one of the things, Mark, and it's the fault of many of us in the National Speakers Association, we've made this look like easy money. It's not. It's not at all. Um, and there is a tremendous amount of work. I've often said to my husband, I've never worked so hard for no money in my life. Uh, because you constantly, you know, you're, you're looking at your website, you're looking at you know, the videos that you have, the things that you're putting at your, you like this, you don't like that. My website has been through, I can't tell you how many um, iterations. I like what we have now, but it's taken a long time to get where I think it reflects me. And that's the other part, is whatever you're gonna do, you must be true to yourself. What you see on my website is what you get. It ain't no different. As I am here, is as I am there. So you gotta be comfortable in your own skin. Don't look at some of those people who make it look so easy. Also some of those people that while they might, they might be doing financially well, I have to say I, I know that some of them, they're not the same people when they get off of the platform or they turn the camera off. I'd rather be true to myself. Thank you, Eileen. Um, <laughs> And if you could go back to the very first day that you felt as if you were full-time as a speaker and writer or trainer, uh, it's like, this, this is it. This is the dividing day in the sand. I'm going for it. Mm -hmm. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Well, my, um, well, remember, I didn't know this was a job. I mean, I fell into this. It was just, I think I would tell, I would tell my younger self, risk more, put yourself out more. And I would also tell my younger self, don't let the few evaluations that say you're the worst thing since sliced bread. Uh, <laughs> don't, let, don't let that discourage you because it's really easy. And it took me a long time, Mark, to be able to realize that there might be three people who hated everything that I did, but there were 303 who got something out of it. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency to look at the all that says is right now it doesn't mean it's not valid some valid input that you might want to pay attention to 
but I have beaten myself up for the three people that say she should never step foot in this place again. Oh my God, I tried so hard. The other thing I think as a way of encouragement is relish what the people that come up to you when we ever get to see each other in real life and say to you, sometimes you won't hear anything, but there'll be one person that comes up and says, oh, let me tell you what this meant to me. And I've always said that I came for you. So pay attention to the people who have the courage to come up and say whatever you did, what it meant to them. And it could be that it appears in a chat right now since we're in this hybrid world. Eileen, what an honor to have you uh, with us and, and to grace uh, our podcast uh, here today. Um, thank you. And once more, thank you for the good work that you are called and compelled to do. And if everyone would just give her our virtual round of applause, uh, we would uh, all really Here's to you guys. There's, yeah. I, I, I now know a whole bunch of books I got to go buy and read as soon as they're out there, you know. Um, and, you know, Mark, I, do I get to say something to you about you? Possibly. <laughs> so when Mark says we go back a long way, I used to babysit. No, I didn't babysit that. Made that That's not true. That's not true. Um, but you have... You have grown and developed and talk about someone who has come into his own in a way that is so powerful, so personal, mm -hmm. and allowed yourself to be present to so many people to help them as they grow their business and their careers. It has been, it's been breathtaking to watch. Mm -hmm. So I want to acknowledge you and you too, Henry. You know, you guys became partners in this. Um, that's talk about good work. This is good work. So on behalf of all the people who you have helped and the people who you will help. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. And that's it. It's a wrap.